welcome, welcome to Valley Christian Church, and uh, we are, uh, we've been in a series uh, last few weeks, uh, actually last six weeks, as we've been going through the book of Judges and in a series called Thrones, but uh, just really felt like it was time to put that series on pause. Uh, sometimes we shouldn't just continue on with what we planned, uh, but sometimes we need to kind of take a, a little break and, and talk about uh, some current events and things that are going on. So that's, that's what I want to address uh, tonight uh, during our time together. And uh, uh, we just want to welcome our Poughkeepsie campus uh, also, also that's joining us and also online. Uh, we have so many that are joining us online since we launched our online campus. And you'll be hearing a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later uh, in our gathering. But uh, I want, I've prepared a special message uh, for this weekend. Uh, that we're calling the Reconciled Church. I want to talk about race reconciliation and, and the problem uh, and, and really the crisis uh, that, that we're facing as a nation when it comes to race relationships. Uh, so, so everybody just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay, all right? Um, and, and the Scripture's not silent when it comes to this issue uh, at all. In fact, uh, I, I want to just point out if statistics are true, this situation in terms of race relationships in the United States is getting worse. It's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. So let, let me just show you a few pretty uh, staggering statistics. If you have your Valley Christian Church app, you can follow right along and fill in the blanks there because uh, you, you may even want these statistics. Uh, you won't have to remember them. They'll be right there on your app. Uh, make sure that you refresh it. Uh, if there's something uh, going on with it, make sure that you refresh that. Um, and, and so here, here's a recent, uh, 2004, the question was asked about race relationships in America, and, and look at what the response was. 2004, those who responded very good or somewhat good, 74% of whites said race relationships are very good or somewhat good in 2004. In 2004, blacks, 68%. 68% said race relationships in America are very good or somewhat good in 2004. Now let's look at the same question posed less than 12 months ago. Actually, less than just a little over uh, seven months ago in 2015. 2015, race relationships in America, very good or somewhat good, 45% of whites dropped off in, in a little over 10 years from 74% to 45%. Blacks, 51%. That's dropping off from 68% in 10 years. So what do we surmise from this? We're going in the wrong direction. We're, we're actually losing ground. And, and, and we can see this played out in the current events before us on a regular basis. And, and so that's why I just felt like, you know what? Let's just take a week, let's just take a break, and let's just talk about the reconciled church. And, and, and this is very, very, uh, very dear to me personally. It's, it's very important to our church and has been for a long time. And I want to share a little bit about the, the, the history of our church because I know we have so many new people uh, that have come in the last few years that may not be aware uh, of the miracle that you're experiencing every time that we gather together as a church family. In 1968, a year after I was born, Martin Luther King Jr. made this statement, the most segregated hour in America is Sunday. 47 years ago, 
He said Sunday is the most segregated time in America throughout the whole entire week. And the reality is that's still true today. That's still true today. That, that people attending church, it's the most segregated time of the entire week in our country and in our culture. Listen to this. I'm all about statistics because statistics tell stories. Only 5% of American churches today in 2016, 5% are racially integrated. 95% of churches in America today are segregated. 95%. And, and we know the answer to race relationships is not, it's not at the White House, it's not in Congress. It's not more education, it's not more finances. If any of those things were the answer, we wouldn't be having a problem right now. The answer is not in Washington, D.C. The answer is in the church house, and we are failing. 47 years, and not much has changed. Only 5%. Now, let me explain what that means. The 5% even, in order to be considered a racially integrated church, and by the way, Valley Christian Church is in that 5% and has been for over 15 years. And it did not happen by accident. It is very deliberate, very intentional, and a whole lot of effort and prayer and continues to go into it. So, so what is that 5%? How this is, this is uh, figured out, 5% of American churches that are considered racially integrated is this. 20% or more representation of all minority groups combined. In other words, if, if the church is predominantly 80% white, all other minority groups combined, if it composes up 20%, that's considered integrated. The fact about the matter is best we can figure, Valley Christian Church, we are, we're somewhere between 50 and 45% white. And all the rest is represented 45%, however you want to look at 55% would be considered minority. Now, here's the most amazing thing about those statistics. The town in which we're meeting in right now, here in East Fishkill, is 88.6% white, 7.7% Latino, and 3.4% black. When I became the pastor of Valley Christian Church, we were 100% white, and Hopewell Junction, East Fishkill, was 96% white. And I felt like God spoke to me and said, you're wrong. It's sin. To be an all-white church is offensive to me. And I want you to do something about it, Greg. And I stood up in front of the church at the time, and I said, I believe we are an incomplete expression of the body of Christ. And God wants us to be a multicultural and diverse congregation. And people looked at me like I had three heads. Some people left because they said, we don't want to see that happen to our church. And I'll never forget going into some of the history here of our church. I, I'll never forget, I was at a conference when, when there really was the catalyst for this, and I heard a, a bishop, a black bishop named Joseph Garlington, and he made this statement, in a divided society, only the church can model unity. In a divided society, it's up to us it's up to us that name Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've got to model unity. 
But because those that don't know Christ, they're not going to model unity. And, and, and I remember when I heard him say that, and it was like an arrow just pierced my heart. And I've never been able to pull that arrow out of my heart to this day. And I think it was about 1994 when I heard him say that in a conference. I didn't even write it down. I didn't have to. I, I remember it just like shunk. And God just began to speak to me, Greg, I want it to be different for your church. In a divided society, only the church can model unity. And so I stood up before the church, and like I said, I said, I believe we're in an incomplete expression of the body of Christ. And I think in our time together, by the time we're done, you'll say, you know what? We were an incomplete expression of the body, and so is any other segregated church. I believe with everything in me, you've got to work against your church being an integrated church. You have to not want it to happen. Because I believe it's so clear in Scripture, that's what God wants. It's God's desire. You have to work against God's desire for your church to keep it all one ethnicity. And that's what's so disturbing about the United States of America, the American church. Very disturbing. And so, in a divided society, only the church can model you. And I'm like, I said this thing, I just went out on a limb. I mean, I was a young guy in my 20s, and I was like, man, I'm just a fool. And how's this going to happen? And then I noticed, like, within a few weeks, 100% white church. Our church is about 130 people maybe back then, like on Easter. And, and I noticed this woman, she would come in late, and she would leave before the service was over. And she was a black woman. And I was like, thank you, God. And she kept, could come in late every Sunday, and she'd leave early. And finally, someone pulled me aside, one of the leaders in the church said, do you know who that is? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm really thankful she's here. Long story short, she's a very well-known gospel singer. And, and, and I said, really? And we needed a worship leader at the time. And so I found her phone number, and I called her up, and I said, can you come in? I'd like to talk to you. And she came in, and I said, it's so good to meet you. And she goes, I've been so blessed coming to your church. You know? and, and I said, can, can I ask you a question? You know, why do you come late and you leave early? She goes, I don't want anyone to make fuss over me. I was like, all right. I said, I need your help. And I shared with her what God had put in my heart. This very gracious woman, she said, Pastor, can I speak honestly with you? And I said, sure. And she said, as a black woman, from the time I walk into your church building, from the time I walk out, everything that y'all say and the way you do church itself says, we're white, you're not. And I said, that is deeply troubling to me. Will you help me? And she said, as long as we're honest with each other, I'd be happy to help you. And so for seven years, she led worship. You should have seen it. We had like a gospel choir here. And all of us like, I mean, I'm so white, I'm clear. And, and, uh, and, and it was fantastic. And, and, and shortly after that time, a family came. A black family came. And I was like, thank God. And that was Aaron and Karen Johnson. And they were an answer to prayer. And to this day, they're an ongoing answer to prayer. And... and the Johnsons are the Williams, they're, they're our family. Karen Johnson has worked with me for over 20 years. And, and, and just 
We, we have gone on our family's vacation together. I, I mean, I'm Uncle Greg to all their kids. I've officiated two of the weddings of the daughters. Uh, they know all of my, like, not only relatives, they've met more than that, extended family. I know all their uncles, aunts, cousins, nieces, nephews, all that, grandparents. They've met my parents. I met their parents. You know, the families together. And, and through it all, it's just an answer to prayer. And, and, and we, I just thank God for that relationship with them and guard that. And we've been able to just, just accomplish so much on this issue because we've decided we're just going to share our lives together and when we talk about it as, as couples sometimes we're going to break the tape together we're going to finish this thing together i don't know how the lord's going to do it but it's going to be the johnsons and the williamson side by side and we don't agree on everything but aaron johnson is my brother from another mother he really is and, and, and I, so it's important to say this. Listen, listen. My family's from Georgia. We moved up here when I was five, okay? Probably more than you want to know about me. My relatives were slaveholders, owned plantations. Bad history in my family, both sides. And I'm not going to tell horrific family stories because that's not who I am. God did something different in this young man's heart. I, I remember when I was a little boy here in Hopewell, when we, when we moved up here, there was a little convenience store kind of pharmacy. It's where Dunkin' Donuts is right here in Hopewell right now. And I went in there and, and my dad one time said, I told this story before, but I, I think it's just so important, just subtle. And I, I never considered my parents like racist or prejudiced at all. And, and my father said, son, go, go pick out a GI Joe. And I picked out a G.I. Joe, and I brought it up to him, and I put it on the counter. And he said, boy, what do you know of that? I said, you say get a G.I. Joe, Daddy. He's like, that's a black G.I. Joe. You go put that back on the shelf, and you get one that looks like you. And I just remember, as like a five-year-old, like, what? That's the one that I want. That's all I'm thinking. And he... he just suddenly taught me something like, no, you go with people that look like you. Be comfortable. You, you gravitate to those that look like you. Just so subtle. I've told that story before, and you know what? Every time I do, and please don't misunderstand me, somebody walks in a black G.I. Joe, and like, here you go. Like, I've got some. Now, <laughs> you know, I, I really do. But it was like God just put something in my heart. I remember when... Uh, when, when our girls were growing up, because uh, uh, especially Jasmine uh, Francis, Jas Jasmine Johnson Francis, uh, we used to call her like our weekend daughter. Every other weekend, she's sleeping over at our house, and now she's our student ministry pastor. How about that? And, and uh, I, I remember uh, our oldest daughter, Michaela, she had a little baby. She called it Mommy Baby. And, and she used to kiss it so much that the eyes ended up popping out of the face. And I remember I took her, to, took her down to Toys R Us, and I was like, I, I didn't even think about this at the time. And, and I was like, honey, go ahead and pick out another baby. And she walks up there, and they're all there. And she picks out one, and it's the same exact baby as she, but it has a black face. And I said, is that your new mommy baby? And she says, no. I said, well, what are you going to name this baby? She said, I'm going to name it Jessica Baby because of 
Jessica Johnson Dandridge. And we still have Jessica Baby in a drawer uh, at our house. And her eyes never popped out. It was pretty interesting. But, 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 but all of a sudden I realized, like, I'm not going to repeat that with my kids. Because I've got a relationship with people that I love. I'm not going to repeat that. I'm not going to pass that to the next generation. Because it doesn't matter all the mess in my family tree. God's reconciled me. And he wants me to help reconcile others. In a divided society, only the church can model unity. The Bible says in, in Psalm 34, 14, seek peace and pursue it. See, this is the thing about race relationship. It doesn't reconcile on its own. It has to be intentional. It has to be deliberate. It's not accidental. Let me connect the dots for some of us, for some of you. <laughs> Next time you're walking through the hallway, look at the pictures on the wall. Next time you're, you're on our website, look at the pictures on the website. Everything we do is very intentional to say all people are welcome in this church. This isn't a white thing. This isn't a black thing. This isn't a Latino thing or an Asian thing. This is like a God thing. And Jesus Christ is greater than no matter what our race is or our ethnicity is. And I thank God that, that maybe I was just crazy enough to just listen to people and ask for their help. And, and even this message, I, uh, Susie and I sat down with Aaron and Karen yesterday in the office, and I said, listen, I want to share with you some of the ideas that are rumbling around inside of me. And it was raw. We just talked about some of these things again because of the love and the trust and 20-plus years of prioritizing that relationship, realizing God was doing something greater than just the Williamsons and the Johnsons. It's so critical and so important. And so I want to share with you five reasons for racial reconciliation. Five reasons for racial reconciliation. Five reasons why this is so important. And listen, there are all kinds of other issues. Personally, and if I was an attorney, I think I could make the case. I think almost every other issue that plagues our country is secondary, the fruit of this stain on our country. But that's why I have very little tolerance of pastors saying, I'd like to have a, a multicultural church, but I just don't, it's just our town doesn't have it. And I'm like, stop the excuses. Because when God put this in my heart, our church, uh, our town, 96% white. And within three years, in every minority demographic, we were ahead of what our county demographics are and still are today. I believe you gotta work against God to keep your church segregated. Here, here's the first reason for racial reconciliation. Each of us is created in the image of God. Every one of us, every one of us, every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being is, is precious and holds inestimable value. And, and, and at the fall, 
When, when Adam and Eve sinned, that, that image of God, it was, it was stained and it's not the same as it was in the perfection and sinlessness, but every human being, we, we bear that image. L look at what it says. In Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Th that's, that's why he cares about how we treat one another. Because when we mistreat someone, we're, we're, we're poking a finger in his eye. Every one of us is, is made in the image of God. In fact, in the New Testament, it's pretty interesting how, how this is restated. One of the apostles says it this way in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man, he made all the nations. That word nations in Greek in the New Testament is the word ethnos. It's where we get our words ethnicity, not countries. That's ethnicities. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their hands. That's not Genesis. That's New Testament. That's Jesus. God made us all from one man. And, and you know, scientists are discovering that in DNA. It's like, it doesn't matter what race it is. We all really, we all come back one person. From God's point of view, there's one race. You know what it is? The human race. The human race. And, and so not only Genesis tells us this, but also in Acts as well. Here's the second reason for racial reconciliation. The church is supposed to be a glimpse of heaven. We're, when we gather like this, we're supposed to be a, a, a preview of the coming attractions of all time for all eternity. That, that, that's why a, a church that is, is just, just one, it doesn't matter if, if what the color is, what the race is, if it's just one, it is an incomplete expression of the body of Christ. The church and that, that seed, that's not valley, that's the Christian church is supposed to be a glimpse of heaven. Again, in Acts, as the church is even being uh, birthed and just exploding, day one, there was diversity. Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there was diversity in the church and 3,000 were added to the number that day. Diversity is in the DNA of the Christian church. That's one of the, I believe you've got to fight against it to keep it from happening. Willfully be against it in order to keep it from happening. And I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about leaders. And if I get fired up, it's because I'm passionate about this. Because this, this, this has not happened by accident. And, and we, we need to just keep this thing going. And, and I think it's time for us as a church to realize there's so many of us, that, that there are those that paved the way. I, I remember when, when I hired that worship leader, I remember the appointment started just filling up. Everybody wanted to talk to me. I remember I was just taking appointment after appointment. And finally, I remember one Saturday, Susie came in for me, and I was sitting against the, the, across the desk from this fellow in our church. Oh, he was so wonderful. He was just so godly. He, he was so spiritual. And, and I, I remember him saying, Pastor, I'm leaving. I'm not coming to this church anymore. And I want you to know why. I said, why? 
He said, I can't worship the way those people do. And I remember it was Saturday because I had my New York Yankees hat on. And I took my hat like this and I sat it down on my desk next to me. And Susie said, Lord Jesus, don't do it, Greg. It's the closest I've come to just punching somebody straight in the face as a pastor. I wanted to fly across that desk. But instead I said, brother, there are many churches in our community that would love to have you. And I'd like to suggest a number of them to you because your attitude is not welcome in this place. And we lost people. We lost people over this issue. But you know what we gained? We gained a real family. A real family. The church should be a glimpse of heaven. Acts chapter 10, it says, Now I realize how true it is. Look, look, look at this. God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, ethnos, that's the Greek word ethnos, the one who fears him and does what is right. God shows no favoritism. And there's not supposed to be any favoritism in the church of God either. How about this one? Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. God gives the apostle John a, a prophetic picture of what eternity is going to be like, of worship around the throne of God. And listen to what John says. After this, I saw a vast crowd. Revelation 7, 9. Too great to count. From every nation and tribe and people and language. Standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. God gave the Apostle John a picture, and it was a picture of diversity in worship. Diversity around the throne of God. Now here's the important thing. Notice it didn't say, I saw a vast crowd, too great to be numbered, and they were all white people. Or they were all black or Asian, or Latino. Listen, this stuff doesn't leave us in eternity. Do you, do you hear? The races are represented for all eternity. That's why when we gather like this, man, and I'm kind of like preaching, because I just, y'all, been here a long time, you're like, I can't, I've never seen him like this before. <laughs> He's normally like, and now point number three, we're gonna. When we gather, we're practicing for eternity. We're warming up. And, and, and don't we know, in the world we live in, people are looking for a taste of heaven. Who's going to show it to them? Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I, I, I am so thankful. Uh, many of you know last year that the, the network that we've been a part of for, for over 10 years, Acts Global Network, my pastor, Dr. Ron Cottle, he, he uh, put me in as the new president of that network. And, and I'll tell you this, is, it, and Susie knows this, this is like how strong this is in me. If, if the pastors in that network, if they were all white, I never would have done it. Because it's a problem 
but I am so thankful there is diversity even in the network of ministers that we're a part of. And I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because I just, it's, it's, it's not just wrong, it's sin. It's sin. And, and, and no one's talking about this. 47 years ago, God sent a prophet, Martin Luther King Jr., and he said, Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. 47 years later, no change. No change. 5% of churches in America. 5%. But this says we're one in Christ Jesus. That's why we've got to start experiencing that oneness. Here's the third reason for racial reconciliation. It is the most noticeable way that we can show love for our neighbors. It is the most noticeable way that we can show love for our neighbor. Listen, I've had people come to the church before. Like, like, uh, tell me, you know, how'd you hear about Valley Christian Church? Why'd you come here? I, I'm not making this stuff up. I wouldn't do it. They're like, we drive by on Sundays. We see all these people getting out of their cars, all this different ethnicity. I'm like, what's going on in that place? We had to just come and check it out. Thank God. Thank God. It is the most noticeable way that we can show love for our neighbors. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 39. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. We, we've talked about this so many times in the past. This is the, the great commandment. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself and he puts no qualifications on that and we've talked about who's our neighbor anyone that's in need anyone that God brings across our path that's who our neighbor is in John chapter 13 Jesus said it this way a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love He said, this is not a suggestion it's a commandment we don't get to choose who we love. And, and you know what? So many times it's easy to love people. Watch this now. It's easy to love people that agree with me. It's easy to love people that, 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 that talk the way I talk and look the way I look. But Jesus says, I didn't give you that option. I didn't give you that freedom. One of the things I love about our relationship with Aaron and Karen, my... Aaron, you know, we, we don't see eye to eye on politics, but we talk about it. We have great conversations about it. And, and you know what? Every time we do, I gain, I gain greater understanding. Listen, a couple Thursday nights ago, and this is when it started burning in my heart. I've got I've to put this aside at some point and talk about this. A couple Thursday nights ago, we are gathered in my office to pray with some of the staff. I said, guys, what, did something happen today? I, I haven't been on, on my phone at all, but did something happen again today? And, and, and I looked, and there's Aaron Johnson sitting on the couch in my office, Stephen Francis, Brandon Dandridge. And Stephen said, there was another shooting. I, I wish you could have seen the look in their eyes. 
I, I wish you could have seen what I saw. Pain. And I love these guys. And it's a different kind of pain than when I read the news. And I'm committed to sharing their pain. See, we have to love. We have no other option. As followers of Jesus Christ, a new commandment I give you. Fourth reason that we, that we need to pursue and continue to pursue racial reconciliation is this. We've been reconciled to reconcile. We, we've been redeemed to redeem, to put back together what was broken, what's been shattered because of sin. We've been reconciled to be reconciled. We've been reconciled to reconcile. Look at this now, Ephesians chapter 2, and, and I'm going to kind of pick it up a little bit because I want to make sure I cover everything that I feel like I'm supposed to. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, it says, For he himself, as Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Let me explain what it's talking about. It's talking about in, in biblical times, there was considered two different kinds of people, only two, Jew and Gentile. Anyone who wasn't Jewish, he said, well, I'm Egyptian. No, you're Gentile. Well, well, well you know, I'm, I'm from, uh, you know, some of Mesopotamia. You're Gentile. Well, I'm from Rome. You know, I'm a Ro No, you're Gentile. That was the understanding. It was Jewish and everybody else. And everybody else was that catch-all phrase, Gentile. And what this is talking about is that God's dest Jesus destroyed that wall where, where before this, everything that God did, his whole purpose and plan came through the nation of Israel, through the Jewish people. And here it says, for he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups, Jewish and everybody else, one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And then he goes on and it says, by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, watch this now, don't miss this now. This, this is so critical. What was the purpose of Jesus? His purpose was to create in himself the sacrifice that he made, one new humanity. A whole different kind of humanity. That's what he was up to. A whole different kind of humanity. Out of the two, thus making peace. A whole new humanity. Out of, out of Jew and everyone else that's not Jewish. A new humanity. That's what Jesus was up to. And making peace. And it goes on, it says... And in one body to reconcile both of them, that's Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. See, see, when, when, we, when we get down hating on each other, we're picking up what Jesus died for. 
to bring peace and one new humanity. And, and that's why if there's ever going to be peace, it's got to come through us. God has no other plan B. He bankrupted heaven and sent to Jesus to break down this wall and to reconcile all of the races, all of the ethnicities to himself. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It, look at what it says here. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. It's pretty interesting. Look at different translations. This is NIV. Some say, from, we regard no one according to the flesh. That literally means what that looks like. We're not like, oh, okay, you're white, you're brown, you're dark brown, you're yellow. It says, stop it. Stop it. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, oh, he's just a really good Jewish teacher. Before they realized who he was, he is the son of God, God himself. We do so no longer. It goes on, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, receive Christ's sacrifice for this sin. The new creation has come, the new humanity. The old has gone and the new is here. Listen, it, it doesn't matter what my Georgia roots are. It, it doesn't matter that my ancestors fought for the Confederacy and died. No, none of that matters anymore because when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, Greg became a new kind of human new identity and that trumps everything the new is here and it goes on it says and this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation the Bible says as a follower of Jesus this is our job every one of us has a ministry to reconcile to others and help others reconcile. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now watch how many times this word appears in this passage. It goes on, it says, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us, what has God create, committed to you and me? The message of reconciliation. That's supposed to be our message. That, that because of Jesus Christ, we're reconciled to God and we're reconciled to one another. I, listen, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, oh, we should all be colorblind. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because God created the tapestry of ethnicities. God created those, and they're beautiful. They should be celebrated, the differences. Listen. I love my wife because she's not like me, if you understand what I'm saying. Because of, she's different than me, and I celebrate that difference. It's the same thing with our, with our relationships and our friendships. Celebrate those things. The message of reconciliation goes on and says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? What does an ambassador do? 
ambassador is dropped in another country and another culture, and their responsibility is learn that culture, speak that language, and communicate what headquarters has told you. Heaven has told you. That's what an ambassador is, and that's what we're supposed to be in this world. Learn the culture, learn the language, learn how to speak to people and communicate what God has told us in his word. That's what an ambassador is supposed to do. We are God's ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because when we are and we understand what that means, it changes everything. It goes on and it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you know what that word righteousness means? It means perfection. And that's what God wants us to grow into, the perfect, loving character of Jesus. And when I mistreat anyone, it doesn't even matter if it's a race, when I mistreat anyone, I'm living below why Christ died for Greg. And I'm not representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We've been called to reconcile. We've been reconciled to reconcile. Here's the fifth reason why racial reconciliation is so important. We're in a strategic moment regarding race right now. I believe that with everything in me. Right now, July 2016, we're in a strategic moment. Now, here's the interesting thing. I was just reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the last part of that chapter, verses 15, uh, 16 through 21. Just in case you weren't aware, the chapters and the verses weren't in there when it was written. It was just a letter to the church of Corinth. And later on, so people could read it and find it, they added those chapters and, and verses and, and all that. Go right into chapter 6. We're talking about this ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to be Christ's ambassadors and, and, and reconciling, and this is our message of reconciliation. Listen to what, if you just keep reading into chapter 6, listen to what it says. And as God's co-workers, we urge you, don't miss this, not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, if we fail to be ambassadors of Christ and, and give this message of reconciliation to the world, we have received God's grace for nothing. Wow. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And I tell you, now is the time for God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to proclaim we have been reconciled because of Jesus Christ. And we're one. We may not all look the same. Our, our backgrounds may not all be the same. But Jesus Christ made us one. And we don't lose who we are it's like it's enhanced even greater because of Jesus Christ we're in a strategic moment regarding race 
I believe in this country. So here's the question I know you're probably asking, what can we do? <laughs> what can we do? How do we respond? When I asked that question in my office that Thursday night, I didn't know what was happening. And I saw in my brother's eyes a different kind of pain than the pain that, that I felt in my heart even hearing the news. What are we going to do? Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 tells us help carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll follow Christ's teachings that's what we're called to do help carry each other's burdens T tell me when you hear that what does that do inside of you tell me because you're my brother and I care Let's talk about this. Let, let me hear. I, I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to understand. But I want to help you carry that burden. See, here's, here's the key. And it's not really profound, but it's incredibly powerful. Relationships. That's what makes all the difference relationships that, that we take time and, and, and we prioritize relationship to share our lives with one another look Aaron Johnson can look me just he can just glance at me and he knows when, when, when something's up I don't have to say it I, I don't have to tell him he's just like man you alright and it's not because the veins are popping out of my head or anything like that. It's because we spent time together. Because we're friends. And, and, and that's why, I mean, that's why we do the things that we do here at Valley Christian Church, small groups, things like that. Because it's so important to share your life with one another. There's something about when, when we open our homes to people. I remember the first time Aaron and Karen in 1990-something invited us into their home, and, and I walked in there, and, and I just told them, I said, I've never been in a black family's home before. I'm, I'm 26 years old. Thank you. And it was awkward. And you know what? By the end of the night, we're laughing. And, and, and we're just having such a great time. And, and it just meant something. Just that hospitality. Bear one another's burdens. Help carry one another's burdens. And this way you'll follow Christ's teachings. John Dawson wrote a book a number of years ago on this subject called Healing America's Wounds. That It's a fantastic book. I think 1995, I read it. 
He put it this way, personal friendship is the only antidote to fear. Personal friendship, listen, when, 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 when the Johnsons and the Williamsons get together, I'm, I'm not like trying to talk West Philly, where Aaron's from. I'm not trying to do that. I, I'm just, I'm the same person that I am. He's not trying to be white. I'm not trying to be black. We're just enjoying each other's company. And, and it, it comes out of friendship. It just changes the perspective. I remember when Aaron Johnson's mother passed away. Shirley. It was right after Super Bowl one year. And I was talking to her at the Super Bowl party at the Johnson's house. They had a party. And, and, and she had a little bit of, uh, of dementia at the time. And she came downstairs. She was living with him. And bunch of folks in the living room she's like I just want to thank you all for coming to my birthday <laughs> and, and, and Aaron told me when he called me the next morning he said my mama went upstairs to bed and she said this has just been the most wonderful day and the next morning he couldn't wake her up and he called me and he said I I'm going down to Philadelphia to make arrangements and I said Aaron do you have are you going by yourself? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Karen, Karen's got stuff going on. I said, come by and pick me up. We drove down to Philadelphia. I just didn't want him to be alone because he's my friend. And I'll never forget, we're in West Philadelphia. This is like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know? <laughs> and I'll never forget this. It, it's sunny, it's daylight out, and we're stopped at a red light. And the people in the crosswalk are walking by, and if we're sitting in the car, they're walking by going, <laughs> and they're pointing, and they're staring at Aaron and me sitting in the front seat of this car. And I said, Aaron, are we okay? Are we gonna be all right? And you know what he said? we are because you're in the car I said what do you mean he said because you're a white man if anything happens the police will be down here like that but if you were a black man I'd be afraid for myself and you right now that's a different burden than I've ever faced That's a real burden. And, and if my getting in the car and driving with my brother down to Philadelphia while he makes arrangements for his mother's funeral, if that helps to lighten his burden, that's what I need to do. See, it's all about relationships. And, and, see, there's one race it's the human race. There's one problem, and that's sin. There's one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And there's one hope, the resurrection. Valley family, let us not stand in the way 
as God draws the cultures of this world and our community together into one diverse, beautiful body of Christ. He's reconciled us to one another. Let's learn how to live with one another and love one another the way he wants us to. Now, I know I've gone wrong and the tech guys are having a conniption right now, but as I was sharing with, uh, with, with some people this week about what was on my heart to say and asking for help and input, one, one person said, Pastor, could you write a prayer? Could you write a prayer that we could pray as a church family? And so I, I found this prayer and I've been working on it. And I want to share it with you right now. It's on your app, a prayer for racial reconciliation. It says, Heavenly Father, we thank you for making one human family of all the peoples of the earth and for creating all the wonderful diversity of cultures. Enrich our lives by ever widening circles of relationships and show us your presence in those who differ most from us. Forgive those of us who have been silent and indifferent in the face of racial prejudice, overt and subtle, public and private. And take away the pride and sin which infects our hearts. Break down the walls which separate us. Help us to find that unity which is the fruit of your presence and enable us to become even more of a community to be your light in the middle of darkness. Empower us to speak boldly for justice and truth and help us to deal with one another without bias or bitterness, working together with mercy and respect work through our struggles and confusion to accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.